0: Hello and welcome back to the All Things New podcast where we talk about theology, life, marriage, ADHD, food, travel, wellness, just all of it. And I am your favorite multi-passionate host, Rachel Reed. So, as the title clearly suggests, we are starting a new series. I am starting a new series. I don't know who we is. It's just me. And I will be breaking down some of the most controversial Worship songs, songs that have been canceled from a lot of churches, songs that have received a lot of criticism, have been titled as Theologically Incorrect, as New Age, um, as Sharing a False Gospel, just all the things. And we are going to break them down virtually, lyric by lyric, hold them up to scripture, and just have an open conversation about worship and praise music. Just a reminder, I do have a blog at allthingsnew116.com. Again, that is allthingsnew116.com. On my blog, I do write about a variety of topics as well. Um, Like I always say, I'm a multi-passionate woman. I like a lot of things. I don't have a niche and that's okay. But The content on my blog is slightly different than the content here. This podcast is meant to be a little bit more transparent, and I'll tackle things in my podcast that are just better spoken than written, if that makes sense. And hopefully one day, I'll have guests. So, let's get right into the first song that we're going to break down, probably the most famous Controversial worship song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. All right, so for the sake of this series, I will not be talking about any of the artists or churches involved specifically and their kind of teachings that might come in a later series. For this series, we're going to focus. Solely on the song, the lyrics, holding the lyrics up to scripture, and just coming to a conclusion. I have a lot of opinions about cancel culture, especially the cancel culture that's been happening within the church. And some people, I already know, are not going to agree with some of the things I say. And that is okay. None of us is above the other. Um, None of us know it all. None of us know all there is to know about God, about scripture, when none of us are perfect, okay? That is what I'm trying to say. I just thought this would be a really fun, insightful series to do. Um, I like to analyze things and break them down. So, I thought this would be a cool series for you guys to just get to know me a little bit better and kind of my style and just my heart and my view about things. So, let's get right into it. So, we are going to virtually look at the songs lyric by lyric. There are some controversial worship songs out there that are very repetitive <laughs> so the whole concept of repetitive lyrics and worship songs is controversial in itself people call it manifestation trying to manipulate god i'm not going to get that deep into it but that's like a, a whole conversation about like is it biblical to repeat the same line over and over again so Some songs, you know, there's not going to be much to break down, and others, there will be. So, starting off with verse 1, we have, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so kind to me. Now, focusing on this verse, um, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. Um, I. We're going to look this up right now, actually. God. Verses about God singing over us. Well, here's one right away. Uh, Zephaniah three seventeen. I'll admit I have not read the book of Zephaniah. Says the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I don't know the context of that verse. Um, we're not going to go in and read the whole chapter of Zephaniah three because um, you know. But we're just going to read something really quick. Singing represents God's joy. God's singing parallels the singing of his people in Jerusalem. God rejoices with his people and he expresses joy when his people praise him. That makes sense. So I would say that that first verse or that first line is biblical. Anytime... That we say, like, you have been so, so good to me, you've been so, so kind to me, to God, is biblical. That's direct praise, um, because he has. Like, he has been so, so compassionate and merciful to us. Now, before I took a breath, you breathed your wife in me. I think that's an allusion to Psalm 139, where it talks about God... Knew our innermost being before forming us in our mother's wombs. Um, He knew our lives. He formed our most inward parts. Um, Just that intimate relationship that we have with him. I'm okay with those. Now we get into the chorus and this is where people get so pressed. Is that what the new kids are saying? You get pressed. I'm so pressed. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. God's love is overwhelming. I don't think as Christians we need to be able to have a verse that flat out says his love is overwhelming. We are about to look at some scripture about God's love. So just just wait. Just wait for it. His love is never ending. We see that too. But people have an issue with... Reckless love of God and because of those four words people have chosen to cancel the whole entire song and say that it is not accurate to sing the song as worship and I'm gonna slow myself down before I already like make my stance but so Corey Asbury is An artist, and the common theme among all artists, whether it's dancers, painters, drawers, sculpt sculptists, songwriters, singers, furniture builders. uh, What's the actual term for people that do pottery? potters? I don't think so, but just all art forms. The common theme among them all is that the artist expresses their beliefs and their view of something in their own unique way. And not saying that somebody can describe God's love or describe God or or express their opinion about him in a way that is inaccurate, that absolutely can happen. I know there's the whole controversy in the secular music industry about God being female and assigning female gender to God and, and people trying to justify that. And I would say that's inaccurate. Um, I'm not going to go deeper into that because that's not what we're talking about today. So, based off of the actual definition of reckless, I can see why some Christians are bothered by God's love being described as reckless. So, the definition for the word reckless from the New Oxford American Dictionary reads, Of a person or their actions, without thinking Or caring so without thinking or no care about the consequences of an action. That makes sense. Are we all all tracking with that? Being reckless means you do something or you are a person just in general that does not care about the consequences of your actions. And let's remember consequences are both negative and positive. A consequence is literally just the immediate byproduct of an action or behavior. So there are good consequences and there are bad consequences. So if we look at some verses about who God is, because I think that's the first question we should ask is so who is God? Because there's this whole idea of if God's love is reckless, then God must be reckless. What does the Bible say about that? Does the Bible say that God is reckless? If not, then what does the Bible say about God? So we're going we're gonna to look at that. So um, I just have several verses here that we're going to interpret together. So, if you have your Bibles, I would greatly encourage you to open them and read with me. So, Luke chapter 18, 27 says, But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. This is after the situation where Jesus and the rich young ruler are talking, and Jesus tells the rich young ruler, If you want to follow me, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler was grieved because he had many possessions and he had become a slave to his possessions. And then Jesus' disciples were like, well, crap. Like, who can be saved then? Because we all become a slave to something. And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Like, salvation is impossible by man's power, but with God, all things are possible. So what does that say about God? That says that God is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. If that means that whatever is impossible for men is only possible with God, then he is all-powerful, almighty. There is nobody that is above him. So let's go ahead and establish that, that God is above all, above everyone, Nothing and no one even comes remotely close to even having the right or the place to be compared to him and his power. Got it? Okay. Um, Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, promised before the ages begin, um, just that part. So, which God, who never lies. So, God is truthful um, in all things, in just his whole being. He is integrious. He is honest. He is faithful because being faithless or being disloyal um, makes you a liar. Makes you a dishonest person. Colossians one sixteen says, "For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invis- invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him." So this says a few things about God. It says that he is creator. All things were created. By him, both visible and invisible, whether it's a physical throne or some kind of powerful just position, title. Even so, not just the tangible was created by God, but the intangible, titles, power, you know, positions, um, other elements of spirituality... You know, nothing is outside of God and outside of His realm. Now, do all things represent God appropriately? No, but there is nothing that is above or outside His power. So we've already established that nothing is above His power. Now through Colossians 1.16, we see that nothing is outside of His power. Um, let's see, John 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is spirit. We know about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Um, so that reminds us that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Um, he is not in one singular place. He's not just sitting on a throne in heaven, just watching things happen but he is everywhere all the time through spirit first john 4 8 god is love god does not just love but he is the true and pure embodiment of love and what love was always meant to be So back to the Holy Trinity, we know the Trinity is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we know that Jesus was God incarnate. So in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is our mediator because he became... God in flesh to take on sin and die a physical human death. And shed physical human blood to be the perfect sacrifice. But he is still the way and the truth. And if him and the father are one in a sense. Then God is the way and the truth. I'm talking about Yahweh, the Jewish God of the Bible. I know a lot of other things are starting to take on the title of God, but we are talking about Yahweh. Um, let's look at else. Deuteronomy 30, 32 verse 4 says, The Rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is He. So if we take all of that we we just talked about, we can make the accurate and appropriate conclusion that God is all-powerful. He is everywhere. Nothing is outside of Him and His being. That He is faithful. And that He is intentional and mindful. And He is strategic. So He would not... He he would not be reckless with his love in the sense that we think of recklessness as, you know, just kind of being whimsical, being impulsive, not putting thought into what might happen. Now, hear me out though, when we look at specific situations... I think it would be accurate to say that according to worldly standards specific situations were illogical or air quote reckless but I still think behind the scenes God knew exactly what he was doing um the whole time so The biggest one, obviously, would be Jesus, and Jesus dying on the cross. Um, Let me find it. Hold on, we're going to find it. Oh my goodness. Okay, we'll be back. Okay, so the verse that I was trying to find was um, Romans 5, 7, which basically says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And what this is basically saying is, when when they talk about righteous person... In historical context, they're referring to, like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like, somebody of high religious position and how, because of their position and because of most of their behavior and the way that they talked and acted, like, most people back then were not going to risk their lives for a Pharisee. Like, why would they? But... For a good person, in that context, I would only assume that they would be talking about um, somebody more quiet and humble, lowly in society that took care of his family, took care of his neighbors. Somebody would be like, yeah, I'd take a bullet for him because like, he's always helped take care of my sheep or <laughs> whatever the case may be. Um and in Matthew, let's find it. the In the book of Matthew, um and Luke, there's the parable of the lost sheep um and it does say if a man has a hundred sheep and one wanders away from the rest, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and set out to look for the one who has wandered? That is biblical. And from a human standpoint, that we would say that is illogical because why would you leave 99 sheep just to go save one? Like you still have 99. You would just be losing one sheep. Like, How much is one sheep really worth compared to 99? But this doesn't mean that God's love is reckless because even though we might say that it was illogical for Jesus to endure the torture and the death that he endured, like, he stayed silent almost the whole time. People that say that Jesus was silent the whole time are incorrect there's about one or two places where the Pharisees and the Sadducees ask Jesus questions and they ask him, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you say that I am, but a time is coming when you will see the son of God seated on the right hand of the father, alluding to the book of Revelation and end times. So Jesus is not silent the whole time, but he never truly defensive self. He never justifies himself. He never tries to argue his side or prove himself innocent. And from a human standpoint, we would say like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you allowing people to make false accusations about you? Why are you allowing these people to torture you and crucify you when... You really have not done anything wrong. Like, what the heck, man? And that's what makes his death so powerful, but also perfect. But this was not reckless behavior in the definition of recklessness. God did not send Jesus to die not caring about the consequences God knew ahead of time what this meant. He knew ahead of time what he was doing. But he the whole time he knew that this was the only way for humanity to be totally free from law, from ritual, from sacrifices, from altar sacrifices... This was the only way. God knew that. So therefore, it's not reckless. But it might not make sense to us from a human perspective. And that's okay. So let's look at some other lyrics here. So continuing the chorus, he says, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. That's true. We don't deserve God's love. And still he chooses to give us grace and to give us mercy over and over again. So then Corey goes into saying, When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. This alludes to, I have some of them here, um, verses like, Hold on, let me get to one. Uh... Just kidding. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So, in the midst of being enemies of God, he still chose to die for us. Um, now, now, the wording here, you love fought for me. Um, I, I'm kind of iffy when it comes to language like... Your love fought for me or you chase me down because God is always there. God does not have to actively fight for us or actively chase us down because he's always there. But he gives us free will to come to him. So I don't really know how I feel about that. Um I I I don't know of any scripture that lines up with this idea of God he I mean he does fight our battles for us. He helps us fight battles. He gives us divine strength. But I I don't think it's biblical the idea of God like chasing us down and and fighting fighting for us as far as like like fighting fighting other things and other people like over our over us like fighting for our attention fighting for our love and and, and praise because that's how I'm interpreting this like still your love fought for me like and I could be interpreting it wrong but I just I hear it as when I was your enemy still your love fought for my attention and fought for a relationship with me because I feel like that's inaccurate Their relationship has always been available, has always been there. God doesn't have to fight anybody or anything for us. We just have to choose to come to him. But he does fight our battles for us. He is our strength and our might. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Okay, so then the chorus repeats again, and then we go into, here comes the repetition, three times of singing, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me, there's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And here comes this idea that we are in the darkness, trapped behind these walls, trapped in our lies, trapped in our depression, anxiety, whatever it is. And that God is coming to us, breaking through all that, to come get us. Which, I believe this can happen for some people. People come to God through different ways. And some people, like myself, come to God by true divine revelation after years of multiple events kind of piling on top of each other and leading to this moment of God is who he says he is. He is who everybody else is saying he is and I need to give him a chance. But again, I I just I can't jump on board with this idea that God is actively coming to to us. Like he's he's just he's always there. He is always always there. We are the ones that choose to be divided against God. We are the ones that choose to create distance between us and the Lord. Not him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So, but at the same time, there is no darkness that God will not light up because God is light. And God will break down every single one of our walls that we've tried to build up of insecurity, depression, anxiety, pride, ego, anger, whatever it is. But because he wants us to be transformed he wants us to be better worshipers of him he wants us to be better ambassadors for Christ it's all about transforming us to worship him better and bring him more glory so we're going to get some more scripture here just for a moment John 3:16 is so famous. It says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life." So God made the first move in providing the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus that whoever believes in him. So we at all times you have a choice to believe this or not. You do not have to wait for God to come chasing you down. You can choose today to believe that this is true. First um, John chapter 4, verses 9-11. through 11, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear Friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love another. so we did not love God first He loved He has loved us from the very, very beginning, and He's always wanted an authentic relationship with you, and an authentic relationship does not happen by God constantly chasing you down himself and by him or by him forcing you into relationship. It happens by giving you a chance, a choice to make. And the only way that he was going to give us the choice of relationship is by setting us free from Old Testament law. And in order for us to be set free from Old Testament law... There had to be blood shed for sin. Now, we are humans. In order for all of humanity to be set free from the condemnation of sin and Old Testament law and rituals, human blood had to be shed, but it had to be a perfect human being, and that was Jesus. God has given you a way, a choice to be in relationship with him. He has already chosen you. But you have to choose him back. God has thought this through. He knew what he was doing all along. And now he has given you full freedom. Full opportunity to take him at his word. And choose today to believe in him. Believe he is who he says he is. That Jesus lived, died, died rose (laughs) ascended to heaven is coming again and he wants to transform you in your life that is it and nothing about that to me is reckless but intentional full of mercy and grace and the utmost compassion while i do think that it is okay for christians to listen to the song i don't believe the song is sinful In any way whatsoever, I don't believe that God's love is reckless. Thank you so much for listening.